Well, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us here today. We're here because I promised Albertans that I would address the decades-long issue that we have in our healthcare system and that I do it without delay. The current process isn't working fast enough, so we need to do something different. Patients are waiting too long to access our healthcare system, despite the excellent work of doctors and nurses, paramedics, and other frontline staff. Albertans are waiting for ambulances. They're waiting to be admitted to the emergency department. They're waiting for surgery. They're waiting to get an appointment with a family doctor. And quite frankly, they can't wait any longer. We need a healthcare system that meets our growing demand and to take action to improve access. And today we are taking steps to do just that with the guidance and leadership of Health Minister Jason Copping. To begin effective immediately, Dr. John Cowell will step up as the official administrator of Alberta Health Services. Dr. Cowell, as you will hear, brings a wealth of experience to the position, including a previous role as the official administrator of Alberta Health Services. He can accelerate the changes that we all need to see. He is familiar with Alberta's healthcare system. He knows that we can do better, and I have every confidence in his ability to deliver meaningful reform for Albertans. Dr. Cowell's appointment will provide the urgent, efficient, effective, timely, and decisive leadership that will improve healthcare outcomes for all Albertans. Now, specifically, we have asked Dr. Cowell to look at four urgent needs. One, improve EMS response times. Two, decrease emergency room wait times. Three, reduce the waits for uh, the wait times for surgeries. And four, develop long-term reforms through the consultation with frontline workers. Dr. Cowell will report directly to Minister Copping and to me. And I must say, Albertans have been waiting and they cannot wait any longer. I would like to invite Minister Copping to provide some detail on each of these areas about this plan going forward. Minister Copping. Thank you, Premier, and and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm pleased to be able to provide some further details on plans for AHS reforms. Albertans want to know that world-class health care is available to them when they need it. We promised Albertans a stronger, publicly funded system with better access to care. That's been my priority as health minister from day one. It's the premier's priority, and we're working to deliver on that promise. Now, there's no question that the system is under strain, and our staff and physicians in many areas are struggling to meet the needs of patients. The reality is patients are waiting too long for care, despite the great work of our doctors, nurses, and other staff. We need to do more to add capacity and make sure the system is there for patients and we need to act faster. The first step in accomplishing this is to acknowledge our current challenges. We know that patients are waiting too long for ambulances to arrive. They're spending hours waiting in emergency rooms to be seen by a doctor and they're waiting too long for surgery. We have to do better. We need to drive new initiatives into practice faster than we normally can and we have and we need a temporary change in governance to support that. The key to the change is a full-time administrator to work directly with the CEO and Alberta Health to drive change. And I'm grateful for Dr. Cowell for agreeing to take on that role. So how is an official administrator better than a board? The role provides a dedicated full-time focus to issues instead of a part-time strategic board. Responses can be immediate and dynamic. And I would like to stress that this is a temporary fix to help drive immediate changes and that the board will be restored at the appropriate time. Now, Dr. Cowell brings with him numerous years of experience, including serving as the CEO of the Health Quality Council of Alberta, 
president and CEO of the Workers' Compensation Board of Alberta, more than 30 years working as a clinical professor at the University of Calgary's Department of Community Health Services, and previously working as the official administrator at AHS. This is not your first rodeo, Dr. Cowell. (laughs) So before I get into detail about Dr. Cowell's work, I would like to take a moment to thank the AHS board members for their work and, and dedication. Putting your name forward for public service is always a worthy decision, and I'm grateful for the time that you have invested. But we are in an exceptional situation now, and we need to take some exceptional measures to address it. As the official administrator, Dr. Cowell will work directly with interim AHS CEO, Mauro Chies, to expedite improvements and reforms to the healthcare system. Dr. Cowell will provide urgent, efficient, effective, timely, and decisive leadership to improve productivity and healthcare outcomes. He'll report directly to me and to Premier Smith. The AHS reform plan identifies the most urgent actions needed and ones that will have the biggest impact on the quality of health care for Albertans. We've identified four goals in this work, as noted by the Premier. The four goals are improve EMS response times, decrease emergency room wait times, reduce wait times for surgeries, and fourth, develop long-term reforms through consultation with frontline workers and others. We needed better access to healthcare long before the pandemic, and in fact, we campaigned on it in 2019. It's our promise to Albertans, and we stand by it. And we're making progress, but the pandemic has made it that much harder to deliver on our promise, and we need to do more. The first contact with the system during a situation is often with emergency medical services or EMS. Our paramedics do a fantastic job, but the fact is response times are too long and we need to get them back down to within target levels. Waiting for an ambulance, even for a short period of time, can be nerve-wracking. Reducing those wait times means getting more ambulances on the road and available for emergency calls, and fewer ambulances tied up in transfers or waiting at an ER. EMS has one job, and we need to give them more tools and more support to help them to do it, to be there when they're needed every time. We'll take a number of steps to do this, including fast-tracking ambulance transfers at the emergency room so paramedics are available for more calls, using more appropriate modes of transportation for non-emergency inter-facility transfers, empowering EMS dispatch to step-down calls from 911 to HealthLink when appropriate. It will also be important to empower paramedics to use their professional judgment to determine whether a patient needs to be transferred to the ER by ambulance. All of these actions mean when an ambulance is needed, it has to be there. And if it isn't needed for a certain task, we shouldn't be using it. We have several ways of measuring the success of these adjustments once they're rolled out. Indicators such as reduced response time from an emergency call to ambulance arrival, reduced patient offload times at the ER, reduced number of less urgent calls handed by ambulance, and the number of calls stepped down from 911 to HealthLink. Secondly, we want to decrease emergency room wait times. Too many Albertans have dealt with long wait times when they go to a hospital emergency room for help. Double-digit hours of waiting, frankly, is not acceptable. The pressure in emergency is the sharpest focus of the pressure we've been facing from two and a half years of the pandemic, and it's in every province and in other countries. It's a real challenge, and it's going to take time to resolve, but we have to do more. 
One step we're going to take is to bring in more health professionals to improve on-site patient care and management. This will improve the flow in an ER so that patients will be triaged faster and connected to the care they need sooner. We also need to find ways to discharge patients out of hospital sooner when they need care in another setting to free up hospital beds for the next patients and emerge who needs them. If someone can move and be supported with home care or move to a long-term or continuing care facility, for example, this is beneficial to the patient and will ease pressures in our acute care system. If the right changes are made, we should see a reduction in the amount of time between when a person enters the ER to receiving the care that they need. Our third goal is to reduce surgery wait times. We campaigned on reducing wait times through the Alberta Surgical Initiative, and we started that work the day we became the government in 2019. We saw some early success, then COVID-19 set us back. Now, as we move into an endemic state, we're continuing to press forward to reduce wait times, and we're making real progress. The total surgery wait list is actually now almost back to where it was before COVID. It's a little over 68,000 compared to about 68,000 in early 2020. The wait list is trending down slowly but surely over the past two months. That's because we've restored overall surgery volumes to similar levels to what they were before the pandemic, and in fact, just slightly above in recent weeks. We're doing more cancer surgeries than before the pandemic and giving patients better access to them. And we've cut the wait time for cataract surgery nearly in half from 19 weeks to 10 last year. That's a shorter wait time than at any time since 2015. And that's real progress. It's important to patients, and quite frankly, it's a huge credit to our healthcare workers. But we need to do more. Getting back to the number of patients who are waiting before COVID is a start, and it's better than the situation in some other provinces. But it's nowhere near good enough. Wait times were far too long before, and they're too long now. More than half the patients getting surgery on a given day have waited too long for it. We promised Albertans we would fix this, and we are going to fix it. So we're going to do more. And that starts with increasing surgeries at underutilized hospitals, mainly in rural areas, and at chartered surgical facilities. This will reduce the number of Albertans waiting for surgery and the time they wait. It will also reduce travel time to receive these services as more Albertans can get the surgeries they need closer to their homes. When these changes are made, we expect to see an increased utilization rate of operating rooms and hospitals, more surgeries happening within acceptable wait times, and a reduced surgery wait times as well. Actions under the first three goals will yield immediate results and move us forward towards our long-term goals. In surgery, for example, we're going to be bringing that wait list down on our way to our goal of providing every scheduled surgery in a clinically appropriate time. That is an ambitious goal, and it will take time, most likely a year beyond our original target of 2023. But we're moving toward it now, and we will keep driving towards it faster. We will do better tomorrow and the next day, and we will work at this until we deliver on our promise to Albertans. There's also a lot more work we need to do in the longer term to make sure our healthcare system remains sustainable for future generations. We need to focus on actions to empower our province's healthcare staff and instill confidence in those who are using the system that they will receive the best care possible for the long term. These reforms include restoring decision-making to the local level 
and local health professionals, incentivizing regional innovation to provide more medical services and attracting more healthcare professionals to Alberta. Through these actions, I'm confident that we will see reduced wait times for health services, along with being able to maintain a sustainable health professional-to-population ratio. There's a lot of work that needs to be done to build capacity and confidence in our healthcare system, but we have the right plan and the right people to deliver it. And I'll now invite our new official administrator, Dr. Cowell, to say a few words. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Minister Copping. And um, between you and the Premier, you pretty much said it all. And so I'm going to keep my remarks pretty tight and short. And I agree with everything that they have said. And I am confident that we're going to be able to uh, deliver on those uh, priorities. And I've started the work now. And, and I really do hope that... Uh, I'll be able to make an effective contribution to making the healthcare system uh, stronger and better from the patient experience. And I think about it all the time through the lens of the patient. Are we doing what we need to do? And you've heard of this, I'm sure you've heard this so many times before, what's different now? Well, some of what you've just heard actually is a... Leaping from a better platform than I've ever known before. Uh, anybody that has known my past work at the Quality Council, we did very extensive reviews. Many of the issues that are being discussed today were discovered decades ago. And the natural question is, why have we not achieved this pre-COVID? Well, there's a lot of reasons, some of which is the implementation rate was simply not high enough for some of the identified required actions to help the system. Well, I'm hitting the ground running now, and I have all of this wonderful framework to begin from, this platform to jump off of. And so my quest is, as Minister Copping has explained, why an OA at this time? Well, the system is in crisis. We know it. The frontline workers are saying it is. We've heard it. They've heard it. I've heard it. I'm, I'm grateful to be back in a position to do something about it, listen and act. Secondly, patients are saying it. And um, my experience, you know, sure, there's lots of practical, concrete experience doing things looking over the shoulder. But, and I wouldn't recommend that anybody else try this, but I actually had an eight-day experience in the hospital in February and uh, that sure gives you a brand new, fresh perspective of what it's like to be in the gurney, in the bed, and in the ER. Yes, I had an unfortunate fall and had a very bad fracture of my left leg. And one of the things that struck me as I lay there in the mud, getting hypothermia, waiting for the arrival of the ambulance, was not how was this... What's the big deal with the system? I was very focused. Am I going to get help soon? And what's it going to look like? And how fast am I going to get into proper care? That's where the patient's coming from. And right now, I think what a patient, a citizen of Alberta wants is good care when they need it on time. And society as a whole now, I think, is very stressed. Are we going to get that? And the advent of the pandemic that everybody predicted was going to come from our H1N1 experience arrives, and of course, 
the system was already at capacity, and now it's stressed. How does it handle more? Well, all of that is a factor today, no question about it. But I uh, adhere to the idea that we're in crisis and we need to have urgent action that starts the process of recovery now. And I am so grateful with the support I'm getting from this premier and this health minister. I've met with the deputy minister. Everybody is on this page. Um, That's just vital to be like that. So, you know, my own experience actually informs absolutely this process, this pathway, this from 9-11 first contact into the ground ambulance, into the ER, during the ER, out of the ER, into a bed, waiting for surgery, getting surgery, back to home. Well, I don't recommend you try it, but that's one heck of a good way to find out what you're up against. And I'm glad to be in that position. And I actually didn't like the experience, but I'm grateful in some weird way that I had it. So all of the... uh, Uh, actions that were described and the way we need to measure them, and there has to be very accurate measurements that we actually do know that we're doing what we're supposed to do. And I won't talk about the rest of my background. It's well known, but I think I do have the relevant background to tackle this in a very speedy way. The biggest challenge I had, to be honest with you, is do I want to come out of retirement? Because, frankly, I was enjoying it immensely. And... uh, Proud of the fact that I finally got my golf game to the point where I actually shot my age, and so I had to, you know, I had to get old enough to do it. <laughs> finally got there, and that was good. And uh, it's a big decision for my wife and I because this is a total commitment. When Mr. Copping talks about uh, intense focus, available on demand form of governance that provides this really valuable communication pipeline back to government and then down into health services operations. I mean, this has to be open all the time and very effective. And one of the things I really appreciate is that I have been granted the authority to be the the governor and the CEO reports to me and I'm going to be held accountable for his performance and everyone below him. And if we're failing, it's on me. And so that's the right way to do it. That's what governance is. And so, but the support that I'm getting already is manifest is nothing short of phenomenally good. Thank you very much. So that's all I want to say. Um, glad to be here. And uh, again, I'm very glad to come out of retirement and do my part if I can. That concludes our formal portion of today's announcement. We have a lot of questions, and we're lucky enough to not only have the Premier answering questions, but also Minister Copping and Dr. Cowell. We're going to start with three questions from the floor and then hit the phone lines as well and come back to as many questions as we can. Just a reminder, one question, one follow-up, and we are only starting with on-topic questions today. So go ahead, your name and outlet. Sure. Alana Smith with The Globe and Mail. Um, I guess my question is for Minister Copping and also Premier Smith. Uh, I'm curious, why not keep the board? You're planning on eventually going to restore it anyway at the same time as it, like, why didn't you keep it at the same time as appointing an administrator? And can you explain to us why one person is better than, say, you know, 13 people? You could have had a 12-person board and an administrator tackling these issues, but now you have, well, far less people. Yeah, so so uh, thank you for the question. So the, the, the board itself is a part-time strategic board. That's That's their role. 
Um, and under the legislation, you have a choice between a part-time strategic board or you have a – under the legislation, a, an administrator. Um, the advantage of an administrator is that, you know, in this case, it would be full-time, right, uh, can dive right in to deal with issues um, specifically from an operational standpoint uh, and assist – uh, AHS, we have we have fantastic people working at AHS. Our frontline workers, our, our doctors, they care deeply about the service they provide to assist them to driving change faster. Uh, so it's it's not that the board is not the and, and we look to once we we get through this um, and again looking at a potentially you know approximately six months we think we actually get through this. Uh, it's it's not that the board isn't the right answer longer term for long term strategic direction. It's just not the right answer now. Um, uh, Dr. Cowell, as in the capacity of an official administrator, can be uh, far more effective in, in driving change sooner. So that's why we actually make the change. And you've also announced a lot of plans today, all of which require staff. So I'm wondering what your plans are for retention of current staff, recruiting new staff, and also plans related to primary care, which doesn't seem to be mentioned today. Yeah, so so this is part of our over, and thanks for the question. This is part of our overall approach. Uh, as you know, um, we we have a full un, a full appreciation that you know primary care is an, is an important part of our overall healthcare system. In, in fact, it's the is the bedrock in which our healthcare system is uh, is based on. Uh, and we've been doing a lot of work on that already. You know, very pleased that we got the uh, agreement with the uh, with the AMA. Uh, and we're moving forward to uh, implementing that. Uh, and, you know, a big part of that was actually focus on primary care. Uh, we announced in September modernizing Alberta's primary care uh, task force. Uh, and I'm looking forward to some uh, quick hits that they're going to be coming forward prior to Christmas to be able to be able to uh, to support that. Um, so, you know, we fully appreciate that, you know, this is, you know, having um, – uh, Dr. Cowell appointed as the administrator for, for AHS is, is critically important in terms of delivering the service within AHS and drive changes sooner. But we also know uh, that we actually need to focus on, on primary care. And then the, the other piece of this is is health human resources. So we do appreciate this. This is a challenge that not only we are facing in Alberta, but quite frankly, provinces across the entire country and, and in the first world in terms of health human resources. We have already invested, so as part of budget 2022, um, we invested in additional seats for healthcare uh, workers in our uh, post-secondary uh, education um, uh, institutions, uh, so over thir- you know over thirty million dollars, uh, over two thousand uh, seats for you know uh, RNs, LPNs, and and healthcare aides uh, plus, um, and we are actually going to be as part of my mandate letter from the premier, we're doing more. So we've done a bunch of work to actually deal with uh, the uh, the human health resource challenges and there's more to come. So all of this, uh, you know, I'll be continuing to work on uh, while Dr. Cowell works on how do we focus the resources that we have to deal with these critical issues that we have in front of us right now. I don't know, Dr. Cowell, if you want to. Uh, no, I think that's further it. On that. you've, you know, you've covered it pretty, pretty completely. I think my job, I know my job, is to quickly and rapidly evaluate our leadership, our organizational structure, how are decisions actually being implemented, acted upon, and how can I make that more, how can I expedite that so that we can get action in play now? Um, It's a very um, productive role governance can play and supportive role to allow and encourage and really direct operations to move quickly so that there is less discussion and more action. And that's really what we're looking for because a lot of these problems have known solutions and it's really the implementation side of it. So that's why I'm cautiously, when maybe more than cautiously optimistic, that we're going to see real results 
in 30 day 96 months i mean 6 months for sure is uh, as much time as you need and you couldn't do it in less to see meaningful change but i think the winning conditions are now in place for us to actually see some movement in these critical areas that have been identified and the other thing is focus because right now we have a very straight focus on what are the what is the pathway that we're going to tackle first and second, like that flow from EMS to admission, bed problems at the other end, and surgical wait times. The others are going to be looked after. They're not going to be neglected. But these, and we win on these, all the others are going to have a positive impact as well. Go ahead. Premier Smith, Minister Copping, I'd like to address my question to Dr. Cal. How much use do you intend to make of uh, chartered surgical facilities as you attempt to bring down the wait times for surgical procedures? Well, I can't give you the answer to how much, but I can tell you we're looking hard at it, and there's been outstanding work done on their identification and the structural setup for them, even the enabling uh, rules and legislation. So I'm optimistic that the chartered surgical facilities are going to really add value uh, to take the pressure off some of the surgical wait lines, wait times and volumes. But having said that, I really want to em emphasize that Alberta Health Services itself very likely has reserve capacity, and we've got to make sure that we're maximizing the existing Alberta Health Services facilities and staff to the fullest so that these are very complementary with each other. And reminding everybody that all of these surgeries are under the publicly funded and administered system. These are surgeries that are covered by the Alberta Health uh, Benefit Scheme. So it's all one and the same. It's just changing the place and changing the players to, to meet the same problem. How do we balance that? That's my challenge, frankly, one of them. Figure that out. Well, we have a follow-up. Can you talk about your plans to expand ICU capacity, which seemed during the last two years to be a <clears throat> challenge? Excellent question. Uh, I know that ICU capacity has been ex been expanded, and it's all part of the evaluation of the acute bed um, capacity and the effective use of those beds. So anybody that's administered, admitted to the hospital that needs acute care up to and including ICU level care, we got to be sure we've maximized that um, capacity. And if the ICU capacity turns out to be still in deficit, then we'll, of course, we'll in go after in 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 uh, increasing it. Um, but the rest of the beds cannot be neglected either because it's perfectly obvious that the alternate level of care beds, the so-called bed blockers, which is a horrible term, but it's people who have finished their acute care and need to go back to community, but they have nowhere to go. We've got to figure that out because that's where the real jam is. And there's very good solutions in play. I hear there's going to be as many as 1,500 community beds coming online in the very near future. That's a wonderful asset right there. Thank, Thank you, you, sir, and may I congratulate you upon coming out of retirement at the right. stage. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Chris Epps, CTV. I'm curious, what are the alternate forms of transportation to ambulances that you might be using? Yeah, so 
you know, AHS is already assessing, you know, pilot in, in red deer to use, um, uh, as opposed to ambulances, um, other, uh, service providers for interfacility transfers, right? So the uh, because we know that you know there are some you know some of the ambulances, particularly in rural areas where you know diagnostics, uh, for example, in a in a smaller center, um, they don't have all the diagnostic capability. So they bring them into Red Deer to have the diagnostics and then back to their to their home hospital, um, and that t- but that takes an ambulance away for emergency response. Um, so already looking in Red Deer, uh, a- AHS is looking at Red Deer for a pile in terms of uh, other types of, of transportation. Now, now again, there's some complexity to this because, you know, some people, if they're in pain, uh, they need an actually paramedic to transfer them because of the, the administration of drugs um, uh, for that. But for others, it's actually just moving around within the system. So um, that's going to be a key component of this. And, and we're going to be actually looking to oh, yeah. to Dr. Cowell saying, okay, you know, uh, assessing how is that pilot working and then how do we can expand it out faster so we can actually keep our, our ambulances and our, and our, our, uh, our, our highest trained paramedics in community to respond to emergencies when they need to respond to. So just to clarify then, in these places such as Red Deer, is that someone, a health employee driving a van with someone or is it actually some sort of medical transport or is it health officials driving this thing or is it... Yeah, so so it's going to be a lower level, like it's still so it'll still be someone who has some health health training. What they're looking at in terms of the AHS, uh, but a lower lower level of training associated with that. Uh, and then some of the vans will be very similar to the vans we have today, but not they won't be kitted out in the, in the same way because you don't need that all, you know all the level of uh, of um, equipment in that because really you're actually just transferring uh, transferring individuals. But that work is sort of, sort of just ongoing right now um, in Red Deer and, and, and basically we'll be asking uh, Dr. Cowell to evaluate that and then see how do we scale that up. Do you want me to yeah. put you in? Um, as part of my health journey, I uh, had to go home in such a vehicle. And um, what it was was a convert- converted minivan and with secure uh, gurney fastenings really i mean that's all it was and a ramp for when i actually was then able to go back and forth in a wheelchair and there was simply no need for one of our precious ambulances to be used for that and because there was really no alternative and i was fortunate enough to be able to pay there was a service available already exists and um thankfully the nurse was able to guide me to that and it worked perfectly fine. And so I asked the owner, who was a former paramedic and actually used other paramedics in training to help out, um, what do you do with people that cannot afford to pay your fee, which is pretty modest anyway? He says, you know, we do it for free. And I thought, wow. So that kind of attitude is alive and well in our community, people looking after other people. and. So we just got to make that right by asking me, bringing it into the system in a logical manner and recognizing that this is a vital service that de- deploys the right resource against the right problem and so that our precious ambulances and those paramedics are deployed correctly and effectively. So, yes, I am so excited. I did not know about this pilot. I'm enthusiastic to hear about it. Then my follow-up would be, you talked about having more medical professionals. Uh, I think it was, was that in ICUs or in hospitals in general, in ERs? Are those going to be doctors? Are those people doing um, triage or assessing people? Or who are those people? And how will that, I guess, expedite the whole 
Yeah. So, so it's, you know, we're asking Dr. Cow to look at what is the best mix because it's not, it's not one size fits all, right? It's going to be a combination of, you know, who, you know, there's availability, like who's available. We can actually put into types of roles. So it's using a combination of different types of healthcare professionals that could include, you know, uh, paramedics doing community-based medicine. Um, it could include uh, more, more nurse practitioners, pra- pardon me, practitioners. Uh, and right now, like U of A is actually running uh, a pilot with nurse practitioners at the U of A hospital to doing pre, uh, triage, uh, additional triage when you actually come in to be able to, to speed up the whole, speed up the entire process. So it's not going to be one size fits all. Um, you know, that's, you can use different, uh, levels of, uh, practitioners at different locations. And there's also going to, there's a reality of who's available at this point in time. So that's one of the things like, like taking a look at that pilot. How do we uh, spread that out? What makes sense at what different locations? And that's one thing that we've asked, uh, Dr. Cowell to assess. You know, I'm going to be spending a good deal of uh, time working with the paramedics and its leadership and also studying and paying attention to the many good reports that are out there that are informing good actions. And, you know, just a simple uh, kind of, I'll tie your question back, I think, to the 9-11 call system. I'm convinced from everything I'm learning that we're underutilizing that system. So a call comes to 9-11, either the patient or a good Samaritan or whatever, we have to enable the people on that receiving end to be able to make judgments about the acuity level or the seriousness in another way of the request for that ambulance. Or maybe it should be redirected to 811 HealthLink and solved another place as opposed to just deploying the ambulance. But on top of that, let's say the ambulance is deployed. The call is, the judgment is made at 9-11 and, and off the ambulance goes. We've got to equip the people that are in those ambulances to also make the assessment when they arrive at the patient. In fact, is it an effective use of that equipment or not? So we've got to figure out what level of training, who is involved with those decision-making. So it's People like that, too, that we need to be recruiting and training, whether it's a nurse practitioner or a nurse or a paramedic, to be determined. But there's a lot of smart people out there who actually know the answer to that, and we just got to listen to what they say to us. So they'll be doing a so extra staff at the hospital, whether they're a doctor or an RN, they'll be doing assessment. There'll be there'll be extra bodies evaluating patients coming in. Yes, and, you know, tied back to every incremental level of expertise. So I've been told that we actually don't have a deficit of ER doctors. I would have thought maybe that might have been one of the resources. No, apparently not. Well, to be determined, I'm going to look into it. But clearly, as the minister was referring, we could be using nurse practitioners who have a higher level of training to be not only triaging, but actually treating and diagnosing and treating. I mean, there's you know, I have a long history of working with nurse practitioners. I'm proud to tell you I was part of the first training group at McMaster University that took nurse practitioners from training and gave them a locum. And it's just astonishing how capable they are and how little we've used that resource. And so, yeah, nurse practitioners, you mentioned it, gave me a segue. we got to use more of those. Go ahead, Rick. Rick Bell, Calgary Sun. I actually have a couple a question and a follow-up for the Premier, who hasn't been given a lot of questions yet, but this is sort of healthcare. It's healthcare and it's this announcement. 
but only the Premier can answer this, I think. Uh, pardon some of the people who've been around a long time who might say we've seen this movie before or something like it. Uh, some might be skeptical, some might even be cynical. What message do you have for Albertans who have in the past, you were not there, but in the past, they have seen politicians go up, they have seen health care experts go up. I remember covering news conference when Dr. Cowell was with the Health Quality Council and did a lot of blistering reports about the health care system. Um, and there were promises made and promises maybe partly kept and maybe not kept in some cases. So what message do you have for Albertans who might see this on television or read about it in the paper and say, ah, this is just the same old, same old. They're promising that things are going to get better and it's going to be the same old thing six months from now. What do you say to them? Well, the nice part about having Dr. Cowell in this position a second time is that he's told us that he is so appreciative of the alignment that he sees between me, the minister, and himself on what needs to be done. This has been studied. We've had endless reports. We had the Auditor General report of 2017. We had the minister go across the province doing a rural health report. We had the uh, the EMS report that R.G. Sigurdsson led. We know what needs to be done. We just now need the will to do it. And that, I think, was the reason why we wanted to move quickly, putting an official administrator in place so he can work every single day with the senior executive to get the decisions implemented. And people will judge us based on the outcomes. I was keeping track of the different outcomes that the minister was listing off. I think I've got 10 different performance measures. So they will be able to see, do we have long waits of ambulances stuck at uh, emergency waiting uh, areas or not? Do Are you able to get efficiently in if you need to be admitted or not? Are you able to get treated efficiently or not? People will be able to see that and they'll be, then they'll judge us based on that performance. And then as the minister mentioned, we're already at the pre-COVID level of surgical backlog, 68,000 surgeries, which uh, is still too many. And so... We, he mentioned we will see that those numbers go down. And the goal is, and the goal of every health system should be, are we able to get people the surgery they need within the rec- medically recommended period of time? So we'll be able to measure all of this and see the kind of progress that we're making. And if we're not making sufficient progress fast enough, then we'll be able to retool, get new ideas, and, and keep going at it. So we're, we're very keen on a data-based outcome. We know what we want to do. We know how to measure it. And we'll be watching for progress. And people will hold us to account. Uh, That's a perfect answer for my supplementary question, which is, in these areas, surgical wait times is a big one, especially if you're somebody like me who's getting older. Uh, I might need some. Uh, But again, they're horrendously long right now. If you want a knee replacement, for instance, it's not going to happen uh, in the next short while. Um, Let's just take a date. Let's just say the end of May, just for fun. What kind of progress do you think Albertans should expect to see by the spring, by the end of May, let's say? what I don't mean percentage or numbers, but how much difference will they see in the healthcare system by then? I'd love to have Dr. Cowell answer that because um, you'll have a better idea about how I, I was just wondering what your expectation is. My expectation is better than we are today. We're going to benchmark it, find out what our current status is, and it will be better than it is today. And I just want to make sure that I I'm, that I'm being realistic about about how fast we can move on this, Dr. Cowell. I say, Rick, it'll be measurable, and we will. There will be a difference. I can't tell you what the delta will be precisely, 
because there are some uncontrollable unknowns, such as maybe the uh, COVID will rage on and it'll combine with influenza and RSV. These are the uncontrollables that the system is going to have to react to, uh, whether it likes it or not, while we're simultaneously trying to improve the system when it's operating without these uh, additional, Mm -hmm. hopefully one in a century or one in a decade challenges. And why we're in a pickle, in a way, is because the system had not gotten into a correct balance pre-COVID. It was still overstressed. So we're trying two things at once here, and we're just praying that the influencers that we can control, like more COVID, more influenza, more RSV, does not get in the way of the fundamental changes. But I do believe that the fundamental changes are so well organized and so thought through that all we really need to do is to accelerate it mm-hmm. as we were speaking. And I got to just say, it, I know it's boring. There's a lot of facility resource existing in Alberta Health Services. Is it appropriately used and maximized? We have a lot of um, staff. Are they being appropriately deployed to those locations? I know you'll get into the debate rural versus urban but we'll get at it. So that's why I'm optimistic that combined with the other community-based solutions that are coming forward and have been thought through, and we've got a chance here because the supply side now is starting to look far more robust than the demand side uh, is demanding. The supply side before was always very weak. Now it's stronger, and I think we can lift off that. So that's why I think it'll be positive. The Delta will be positive. All right, operator, can we go to the first caller, please? Janet French, CBC. (coughs) Hi there. Thanks for taking my question. Um, So the goals that you've outlined here will need more resources, more money, more people. What is your budget for these four priorities you've outlined, or are you planning on redirecting any money funding from other areas to focus on EMS, emergency rooms, and surgery? So I'll start with the the high level answer. Um, so as as you know, Janet, we are expanding our healthcare budget. Um, we you know increased it uh, six hundred million this year uh, over last. Uh, we're at twenty two billion dollars on the expense side, the highest ever. Uh, we're increasing again six hundred million next year, uh, six hundred million the year after that. Uh, and just for for frame of reference, the um, uh, the funding to catch up on surgeries is in addition to that. Right. So, you know, and, and to manage COVID is on top of that. Uh, and, you know, that we don't have a specific number for that because that is a, a conversation between, you know, uh, uh, my department and uh, and Treasury Board uh, in terms of that. But that is our commitment that we have made uh, to Albertans, a commitment that we made as, as, a, as a government. And, and you know, and I know Dr. Cowell will, will, will get involved in terms of understanding the better, uh, you know, from the, the costing standpoint once, 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 he's, once he's in there. Um, but this, this, our focus is on delivering better service for Albertans. Uh, we are focused on building capacity uh, and doing what's necessary to do that. Now, to the extent that we can, you know, build that capacity with, with current resources, uh, great. 
Um, uh, but if, quite frankly, if, if we are going to have to uh, invest additional monies in it, then that's a conversation I'll have with, with, uh, with Dr. Cowell. Uh, but we are spending more money than we ever have, and we are increasing our budget, and we already made a commitment to that uh, over the next three years. I don't know, Dr. Cowell, if you want to comment further. Oh, thank you for that. And um, We're going to look for what the problem is first, define the problem, and then think about the money. Uh, and uh, and I just can't speak to it at this point, but I appreciate what the premier, uh, but the ministers just said. Janet, do you have a follow up? I do. Uh, just for the premier, many people who've been on the outside and the inside of health systems say this kind of constant change in direction and meddling with AHS by the premier of the day, the government of the day, Alberta Health, the department, is preventing it from making the kinds of meaningful improvements that it needs to, which take a long time to achieve, sometimes years. And your previous comments about giving AHS orders that they must follow sounds like your government intends to be pretty involved in AHS operations. So how hands-on or hands-off do you expect to be with Dr. Cowell in place and why? I don't want um, to be a, a barrier to the decisions he needs made because I think what you should look at this is accelerating things that are already happening. It's also accelerating and implementing things that are already being tried in other jurisdictions like British Columbia and New Brunswick. And what we need to do is make sure that we're supporting Dr. Cowell so that when he identifies an issue, we can remove the barriers and we can get to an answer. We can get to a yes. So both Minister Copping and I are going to be on hand on a a daily basis if needed, a weekly basis if needed, so that we are not going to be the bottleneck in decision making. And I I think the, the fact that you've seen some familiar faces in the in different key positions should give some comfort to the front line that this is this really is not meant to be disruptive, not meant to uh, radically switch gears. is meant to accelerate things that we already know should be implemented, can be implemented, and are in, and are underway in pilot phase. If something's already working in a pilot, then what's the delay? Let's get it working at more of the hospitals. And so that that to me is is the role that that both Minister Copping and I will play is to to be the the two that can say yes. Go for it. When uh, Dr. John Cowell uh, determines a a course of action, we don't want there to be any barriers. Thanks, Premier. And uh, let's go to our final final caller, please. Morgan Black, Global News. Hi there. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, So the first one's for the Premier. So as this new appointment begins, I'm just wondering what's the more immediate plan for Albertans that are facing these extenuating circumstances, the double-digit wait times today, like this week? What's going to happen this week? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, you've outlined kind of the longer-term plans, but I'm wondering um, once the appointment has begun, I'm assuming it's beginning today, what's the most immediate step? Well, I should actually put that to Dr. Cowell because I I know that he's already hit the ground running. And he, um, this is, I mean, the reason why we made this decision, we've been talking with Dr. Cowell for a number of weeks. He couldn't wait to get started. So I I wouldn't want you to think that this is going to be a longer-term implementation. We're, we're talking about making some immediate steps right away, Dr. Cowell? Yes, that's true. For the last uh, two to three weeks, I've been doing a great deal of diligence on what is the art of the doable and how fast can we do it. And I've been almost at the other end of a fire hose of information, but it's very good because I actually have got the experience to know what I'm reading and what to interpret from it. And so I'm already getting very well briefed. 
and I have now been, and this is a sign of the support I'm getting, I'm not going to be a one-man band or a one-person band. I have uh, been granted the ability to recruit two very fine, highly experienced individuals to work beside me in the office of the official administrator. They're not governors, but they are serious, senior, uh, experienced people who, in each of their own way, have very complementary skills to mine, organizational structure, functional uh, structure. Uh, Do you actually have the right people doing the right things? I am embarking immediately. Uh, Well, back up a little bit. I've developed already, I think, a very trust-based relationship with our acting uh, CEO, uh, Moro Keys. And I did know Moro back in the day. He was in a more junior position, but now he's the acting CEO. And I'm very grateful to the outgoing chair, Mr. Greg Turnbull, for uh, identifying him and putting him in place. And I have no intentions of doing anything other than working with Moro as we take on these challenges. And and having that trust relationship between me and governance and the CEO is priceless. And next week, bright and early, I'm out of my jammies and back into my business suit. I am going to be meeting with uh, the leadership team. And uh, I'm going to be working my way through every single one of them. And in where needed, drop below. I'm going to be meeting with the executive leadership team as a whole on Tuesday, the senior leadership two team also on Tuesday, where we will be talking about morale issues and cultural issues and are we going to be on our heels or are we going to be on our toes uh, as we go forward. And that right from the premier on down, we've got your back. And so, you know, when people can get into a position where they're appreciated and they're expected to work. And we're all going to, I have a personal work plan. I've got my own targets. I'm going to be expecting the same folks around me to be as disciplined as that. And any organization that has ever succeeded has had to do that. And organizations that fail don't do that. So we're going to be using some pretty fundamental strategic and business tactics as we go forward. For some of you, you may, I mean, sure, I've been accentuating my my clinical background and my experience background, but I also uh, have a strong business background. That's how we were able to uh, do a number of successful things in the past and other parts of my career. So we're going to be bringing those principles to bear. And if they work elsewhere, why wouldn't they work in health? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Dr. Cowell. Uh, do you have a follow-up, Morgan? I do. Thanks, Dr. Cowell. Thanks, Premier. Uh, this question is for Minister Copping on the broader topic of health reform. Um, so establishing health spending accounts part of the mandate letter that Premier sent Minister Copping. Um, there's been some criticism that it's inefficient, doesn't help the health care system, and some are saying that it's actually limiting access. So, Mr. Minister Copping, how would you respond to that criticism, and why is the government moving forward with the idea? Maybe I'll take that one. I know that sure. all of our frontline workers have health spending accounts. It's something that was important in the collective bargaining process. And it seems to me that if it's something that our all of our frontline workers are able to have, it's something that we ought to try to make sure all Albertans have. It's a way of augmenting and uh, supporting the things that aren't covered by Alberta healthcare. But that's not what this announcement is about today. That's going to be a, a future problem. The, the problem that we have to uh, encounter today is the very acute pressure that we're seeing in our hospitals, a demoralized staff, And we just want our staff to know help is on the way 
And we're doing all of this to be able to support them, create a better working environment, and to make sure that they feel valued. One of the biggest issues that we've heard, and Minister Copping and I today spoke with the um, uh, Heather Smith, as well as Guy Smith, as well as Mike Parker, was that uh, they know that we know what the solutions are, and they 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 want us to uh, to work on them. But they also want us to do it in a way that's going to be respectful and consultative, and, and we intend to do that. So I would say it's first things first. We're going to focus on that, and then we'll be able to have that further discussion in the spring. Thanks, everyone.